Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. Welcome to the Cindy and Joe show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And we obviously have to be talking about the Michigan Wolverines. And who doesn't want to talk about the Wolverines? I'll tell you, even as a Spartan, you know, we don't love talking about Michigan football, but boy, how outstanding were they against Ohio State? Just a side note, we get called homers all the time. I hope you know that. We get called homers? Yeah, I can't believe it, even though we were at on our own teams. And listen, <laughs> but I've got a bold statement that I am making right now, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. All I'll, right. I'll send you my receipt when I make this bet, right? <laughs> Plus 1,000, Michigan, national champion. Well, you're going to make some big money off of that. We better be, you better be taking me to dinner off of that in there, buddy. Listen, that'd be a great get. <laughs> but I really do think that Michigan has a shot to win the national championship. You know, after seeing them play the way they did against Ohio State, I have to agree with you there. Because not only, so you're getting, you, Hassan Haskins is turning into a stud. He's, a, he's like four and a half carry running back right now. And then you look at the, look, you look at how they're playing wild together. But the major thing is their offensive line. Their offensive line is playing uh, outstanding. You really, you really can't put a number on how good they're playing. Well, you know, they executed nearly flawlessly yep. against Ohio State. They knew they were going to need to do that. They came in and they did it. What's surprising to me, or what's going to be surprising, is to see if they can maintain that. I mean, was that, you know, is that something that they kind of – you know, I don't want to say they were a one-trick pony because obviously they had a fantastic season, but can they maintain this? Can they bring it again uh, as they make their way up to the uh, national championship? Yeah, they've got to bring that same emotion. You know, usually we, we say about Michigan State they're kind of a gritty-type team. Michigan pulled a little brother that they would say, and they became the grittier team, the tougher team. They just wanted to get it done. The Ohio State came there and they was like, "We are gonna r- run up the score, we're gonna roll our hats out there, and we're gonna win this game." Well, we knew it was gonna be a high scoring game because Ohio State is high scoring anyway, and Michigan was going to have to be yep. high scoring as well in order to beat them, and they and they were. I think you know where Ohio State lost this, Joe. You, you had a bold prediction. I'm gonna make a bold assessment. You see if you agree with me. I think. Ohio State lost this game at the end of the first quarter when they failed to score at the five-yard line. You know, you're not wrong. But the one I was kind of I was kind of bringing up is, uh, I think, the one where they lost the game was where they come out of half, they, they're 
they run the ball three straight times and it's four, three and out. They're out. Now they give Michigan back the ball with the lead. And once Michigan got the ball, it was done. Yeah, and you know, every time Ohio State's offense tried to get something going, you know, Michigan defense just shut them down. Yep. I mean, they, they had nowhere to go. And, you know, they just collapsed on these guys. Part of the reason why I think that they can win the national championship, I'll tell you this this is the reason why, is you look at their team, right? Their defense is as good as anybody in the, in the uh, college football. You know, one of the things we talk about with Michigan State is their defense isn't that good, blah, 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 blah. They can play defense. They can play offense. They, their, their front lines of the offensive line and defense line, they're their strong poles on both sides of the ball. That's 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 always a good thing to have. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting to note you were talking about um, Hutchinson earlier, and Jim Harbaugh was quoted recently as saying that he believes that Hutchinson should go number one in the NFL draft. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think it's so. Little... Will he play for the Lions? That's the question. <laughs> well, I think it's a little too early for that, but we'll talk about that more when we get to the drafts and everything. But I just think that right now, Michigan has two of the best defensive linemen in the country, Russians, because defensive tackle from Georgia, Jordan Davis, is one of the best players I've ever seen. But you got to think about it like they got David Ojabo on the, on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson. They're havoc for offenses to block. When you go to play, if they go play Cincinnati, they're going to beat the crap out of them. Only team that they would have a struggle with is Georgia because Georgia's defense is really, really good too. Mm-hmm. That's that's an all-pro defense. It's literally an NFL defense. But their offense sucks. It's like Iowa this week. Iowa's offense is so bad, so bad. That if you were, it's like the equivalent of a, a virgin going into a strip club. <laughs> he, he's right. He's like, maybe, oh boy. maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe I'll get lucky. That's Iowa off. They can't score. Their quarterback, he couldn't throw a beach ball in the Lake Michigan, okay? It's like, I'm putting them in because I don't think that there's. Any shot of them losing as Iowa. So long as they don't go in with a bunch of overconfidence that ends up taking them by surprise and, and giving them a handing them a defeat. You know, they just got to maintain the uh, they've got to maintain the pressure. They have to play. They have to play as if they're Ohio. State. They have to treat them just. They like have they to play everything like it's Ohio State from here on out. They, absolutely. Because absolutely. because if they don't, you're gonna have a little bit of a tough time getting through these games where you play tough teams. But you know what? Here's the thing about Michigan. They're battle-tested. They made, they lost, but they still played hard. Played for the football team. They beat Ohio State, something they haven't done in eight years. Eight right. years. Yeah. This is what this is exactly what Michigan fans have been wanting for a long, long time. Oh, this was this was the game of a decade for Michigan fans against Ohio State. And that atmosphere at the big house was electric. This oh, with the sure. snow falling down. See, listen, Michigan Stadium is known for not being the loudest venue in the Big Ten. It's not known for that. It's not. It's either Ohio. It's either it's either Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and they have the biggest damn stadium in the land. Well, that's because they're a little more refined, Joe. You know, Mich- U of M. You know, Ann Arbor. See, they're, they, they're a bit. They're, they're they a need, little bit of the. You know, the the tea and crumpets crowd. They need to. They need to go back to. They. 
There is... they're, they're not the beer and pretzels crowd that we are in, in East Lansing. They're the tea and crumpets crowd of Ann Arbor. Right. But they need to they need to channel that energy because if that stadium's loud, it's a holy hell place for performance to play. Well, it was deafening when Ohio they played Ohio State. Like you could tell Ohio State was kind of like Oh, what, what what did we just walk into? Is this is this Wisconsin? Right. Or Penn State? No, it's Michigan. Like Michigan's not known for that loudness in their venue, at Michigan Stadium. It's a big stadium, but they're not known as that. Like people are usually more calm, collective, cool. It's not really loud. You know, you go you go to Wisconsin, you're like, that's a loud stadium. You go to Ohio State, loud stadium. Penn State at night, whoo. Even Michigan State, you go to Michigan State at night. And it's a big game. That's a loud venue too. But Michigan's never in that way. They... Michigan State is loud all the time because the party never ends in East Lansing, and anyone there knows this. Yeah. That's the reality but of the situation. Mich- Michigan State's got a smaller stadium, so it helps out yeah. with the venue. I got you. But like at Penn State, that's a hundred. That's a hundred and one thousand seat stadium, and they are just. It's holy hell for teams to go into. Well, even in the in the sports media, even commented that they felt that the energy that the team was drawing that crowd had an impact on the play. And I think that they're right. I think that it did. I'm I'm interested to see. You know, one of the things that Michigan does is you know they've got this alternating quarterback system going on mm-hmm. with um you know Max. They, they, they've got to make a decision about that. And, yeah. And, and, and I mean, you can mix uh, Kate. Uh, JJ in a couple plays, but they both got three years of eligibility left. So mm-hmm. one's got to go. Like that's the way it goes. And if you know what, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. People didn't want Tom Brady, right? When he was at Michigan, they didn't want Tom Brady. They didn't want. There was a certain section of them that did, and then they're, they're sick. There are some the, of us who always hold on, hold on, want Tom hold Brady. On, hold on, hold on. This was before. <laughs> this was before the storm. There was I a know. certain few that did not want Tom Brady playing quarterback. They wanted Drew Henson, and then Drew Henson goes to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady comes in. Tom Brady. He didn't do anything flashy. Okay, he didn't do. He didn't do anything flashy. He was like this. He was like, I'll just go in there and I will win. Brian Greasy was the same way at Michigan. Mm-hmm. I'll just go in there and I'll win. Same thing with Kate McNamara. There's nothing flashy about the kid, but that's all right because that's all you care about is winning football games. Like yeah. if you like look at look at the college football as, as a whole. I mean Peyton Thorne at Michigan State, not flashy, but he gets it done. Sean Clifford at Penn State. He's been a great quarterback for Penn State. Not flashy, but gets it done. You don't need a flashy quarterback. Like, you know, Ohio State's always had the Strouds and Justin Fields and all that. Like, last year's uh, college football champion, Alabama, had a guy in Mac Jones who everyone was like, oh, he's just, he's not like Tua. He's not like Tua. He's not like this guy. He's not like that guy. That guy was pretty good because right now he's dominating in the NFL. Like, you don't have to be flashy. You just have to know. You have to get your players involved. So that's what Tom Brady does. He gets everyone involved. And there's a little bit of that with, with Kate McNamara because he just gets everybody involved. He's a gritty guy, makes plays, and that's all you could want out of quarterback. Well, and you can see how that paid huge dividends against Ohio State because what I saw was, you know, you say, oh, what about this guy, that guy, who are the breakout players? And, yeah, Hutchinson for sure, okay? Mm-hmm. But outside of that – 
it's you're hard pressed to find another guy who'd say, yeah, that was the star of the game because those those units, those teams played outstandingly well together, and they all delivered. I mean, every single one of them delivered, and they were going to have to do that in order to get the the, the win, and they did. So um, I was actually quite impressed with J.J. McCarthy and his performance. Yeah. I, I really was. I was concerned bringing in a young, inexperienced, you know, kind of rookie guy into that kind of high-pressure situation. Can you think of a bigger game? I can't think of a bigger game Michigan has had in the last 10 years. And you're bringing this kid into that environment, and I think he did very well. I think he um, showed a maturity. I think he showed a calm and, and um, a poise that I didn't expect to see out of such a young a young guy. Yeah, well, you know, when you when the pressure's on, you know, there's certain players that perform and there's certain players that don't. And that, that's that's one of the situations where he came in, he did what he was supposed to, and Cade McNair gave him the little, you go get him, you know what I'm saying? Get him. But, like, if you think about it, the biggest player of the game by far for Michigan was Hassan Haskins. Yeah. And talk about a guy. Talk about a guy who literally. He had just a couple touchdowns, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Five touchdowns, to be exact. You know who that sounds like? Right, that's right. Kenneth Walker when against yes, Michigan. Sir. That that was those are those are signature plays, signature performances that you really, as a fan base, you're like, that was awesome. Like you can't script it any better. Like there's really nothing that you could say that he did wrong. He was just running them over. Like, he was mowing them down. Four yards, four yards here, four yards here. Oh, it's a first down already. Like, he was and he, the thing about Hassan Haskins is people, they, they didn't, there was a lot of fans that did not think that he was this guy that would take him to the next, he wouldn't be that flashy guy, right? Everyone's looking for a flashy guy who can, kind of like a Kenneth Walker. Show me some flash. Right. Right. But Hassan Haskins is like your hard-working back. He's gonna get you carries. He's gonna he's gonna make some plays, make some yards, and he's gonna get it done. That's all you can count on. Well, he you know you saw his play and you see NFL written all over that guy. Yeah, yeah, it, he, I did. It, it's it's he'll be a he'll definitely be a power back in the NFL. Right. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. And some teams gonna want him as a a goal line first, like a third and short back power situations. Yeah, for, I could definitely see that, but. Everyone was like, oh, you know, Hassan, and they didn't really take him seriously. And then Corum went out, and he played against Penn State, and he dominated that game. He dominated Ohio State. Like, this kid's legit. <laughs> Who would have knew? Who would have knew? Surprises around every corner, but I love it. It's crazy because I never thought I'd be saying Michigan. I think Michigan's going to win the national championship. But I legitimately think that they will win this, this whole thing because – I think that they're peaking at the right time. And they kind of remind me of a team that you probably know and I know. It was that 2015 uh, Michigan State team where all the breaks went their way. They started peaking at the right time. Then they ran into a buzzsaw against Alabama. But this year, this is the difference between that year and what Michigan's doing is Michigan's going into the college football playoff, presumably, because I don't think they're losing to Iowa. And they're going to go play teams. There's no team that you go, yeah, they're the best team in the country. Like, oh, for sure. Look at every other – you look at every team that they, they could possibly play, and you go, okay. They're beatable. They're beatable. They're beatable. They're beatable. The yeah. only team I think that would have if, – if Alabama got in the playoffs, that's the team I would watch out for because that's a pro – that's a prof- 
professional quarterback, NFL pro right there, playing, and that's always bad news when you – it's always bad news. And they got a defense, so they're, they could they play pretty well. But if Georgia beats them, Alabama's on the playoffs. It's Michigan, Oklahoma State, Georgia, Cincinnati. Whew, that plus 1,000 probably going to go down to plus 300. Probably so. And next week we will talk about the Big Ten Championship game as Michigan plays Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. This is Between the Whistles. Between the Whistles, I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. We are talking Michigan State on this portion of the Between the Whistles. Yes, your homers. They can't either, we're getting called a homer, but you know we are your hometown team, so it makes perfect sense. I'm cool with that. Listen, I, people are going to call us homers, and they're going to call us whatever because, like, but I'm not even a homer with my own team, so I really don't care what people think. Now we go on to Michigan State. Michigan State, obviously, they beat Penn State. That was a big win for the program. They went ten and two. I think it was a program defining win. What did you What did you think? Oh, no question about it. No question. I mean, I think you know, even when we were looking at you no, know, who does Michigan have to beat? We talked about Ohio State, Michigan State, and Penn State. And, uh, you know, they lost to state, but uh, they picked up the other two. Well, in Michigan State's case, they won. The only one they lost to was Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that absolutely that was defining because it puts them, again, it puts little brother at the big boys table mm-hmm. with their big bro, Michigan. Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, I think I think what Mel Tucker has done in year two of this program, you could basically call year one because he didn't get to recruit like with COVID last year. I mean, what he's been able to do is nothing short of amazing. Like that is going to be just the way that they played. I mean, they don't have a great defense this year. They were hurt. Kenneth Walker was getting IVs on the sideline. They had 20 players out against Penn State. I was going to say, they were like ravaged by the flu. They've had all kinds of illnesses and injuries. They could have packed it in and said, okay, guys, it's not, you know, this is not our game. But they they gritted it out. They did it in Michigan State type fashion. And Mel Tucker had them motivated. And they played very, very well. And Kenneth Walker, you know, if the one thing you can say, he's talented, obviously, but the one thing that separates him from most is the toughness. The toughness to. He's taking IVs because he's not feeling too well, and he's still making plays in the snow. Like it's not that's not that's not an easy thing to do. Kenneth Walker is the man. He's been my man from day one, and I've been advocating for the guy. I mean, again, you talk about a, a Spartan that has NFL written all over him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Kenneth Walker, and uh, you know what a great pickup by Mel Tucker. Um, and he, Mel Tucker's not done. I mean, he just added, oh, he he's just, just getting started. He just added that running back from Wisconsin, uh, Jalen Berger. He's this. Listen, Mel Tucker. I, by the time it's all said and done, he might have a top ten class in his second year at Michigan State. That's going to go a long ways for them, especially going forward. Well, you know, and he just got that huge contract extension, which we, I think, were one of the first ones to really break some of the details on. Yep. Um, you know, we knew that that contract was coming from Mel Tucker and advocated for it. I'm glad to see that, you know, the Michigan State, uh, you know, powers that be over there cut that deal. I think it's going to pay huge dividends down the road. It sounds like, yeah, sure, is it a great contract? Very healthy contract. But at the same time, like you said, look what the guy's done in really a season and a half. Right. For all intents and purposes. So he's, this, got, he's had one off season basically. Yeah. This this is his first 
that was last year was uh you could say it was his first off season where he was actually able to bring kids in. This coach is not just building a program, he's building a legacy at Michigan yep. State. And that doesn't come along every day. And you know what? You could you could you could vouch for this. When he said that he took he thought of Michigan State as a destination job, I really took I really thought he was being I I really do think he's being truthful because you know and I know that if mom ain't happy, no one's happy. You know where she's from? Chicago, Illinois. She's not far from her family in Chicago. And he's not far from his family in Cleveland. He's been he got the Big Ten roots. He knows how to he knows this he knows the university. He's been here before. Yeah. He played at Wisconsin. I think he really did look at Michigan State as a destination job. And I think that's what it's becoming because if you look at it, Michigan State for the longest time, you know, people would be like, There's coaches that would stay, but they would kind of fizzle out. You know what I'm saying? Like uh D'Antonio, you know, he started great. Played, he went. He had a great run. Mm-hmm. And then there was some things that happened where he kind of slowed it down. And they got, they declined a little bit, and he just couldn't come back from that. And that's when Mel Tucker came in, re-ran the whole roster with transfer portals, which some of the guys he got are going to be big name players next year, like Crouch. That's a kid from Tennessee. Who, let's face it, I've watched a lot of Tennessee football. They really didn't have a coach for three years. <laughs> Yeah, they had a dummy on the sidelines. Yeah, so Crouch didn't really get coached good enough, but he's going to get coached with Mel Tucker. Yeah, Mel Tucker is going to bring something to Michigan State that they have been lacking, I believe, in in their football program, and that is identity. Mm-hmm. He's going to create an identity there in a brand. You could tell he's already in a creating, brand, you no could, doubt. You could tell he's already creating with the whole chop life, relentless. Yep. You know, they just they. If you really the words on the back of their helmet, relentless. They really showed this whole year because there was times where they could have just fell apart at the end. There's times where they could have just you know packed it in, especially against Penn State, but they kept playing, kept chopping. We're relentless. That's yeah. Michigan State. That's one of the things that has me hopeful for the future is that they have this this win against Penn State is going to go a long way, and it's not just. Mel Tucker, but his belief in the the players' belief in the program, the recruits that are coming, they believe in that program because you got the ten wins when people said that you might not even get four. That's right, and you know what I think was so important about that victory against Penn State, and I agree with you on this. But here's why that was huge, and that is because they had just gotten shellacked yeah. by Ohio State. Yeah. And you know when you got to come back and you've got to try to be competitive and you have to have some belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, after getting your your butt handed to you, yeah. and um, you know, and now you got to come back and prove that you know you're the real deal. That's what that game against Penn State did for them. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's you know they weren't they weren't healthy against Ohio State. They didn't even get you know Kenneth Walker was hobbled. Yeah, that was a shame. That was Kenneth a shame. Walker was hobbled. They were lit, missing Jared Horace. This team is not deep enough yet to where they can survive injury after injury after injury after injuries. Kind of, it's kind of like you're just scrambling. You're like, let's, let's what, what, what else could go wrong? 
You know what? But I mean, credit to the creativity of Mel Tucker to be able to manage and coach around all of those issues. Yeah, I mean, that, that just, just shows the it's, brilliance. It just, of this guy. It just shows how good of a coach he really That's right. is. Right, absolutely. Because we talk about it all the time with Jeff Blash, we talk about yep. AJ Hinch, and we talk yep. about Dwayne Casey. Some of the the things that they've dealt with, but they've overcame it. You know, that's when you can overcome things that aren't going to plan and you can make a little bit of hay out of it. But when you can make 10 wins out of it and get 10 wins and that's third in the Big Ten, I mean, no one expected you to win 10 games. Yeah, I mean, that so far exceeded expectations. You know, Mel Tucker is one of these guys – you know, truly, give him lemons, he's making lemonade. Yep. And he's selling it for a buck a glass on right. top of it all, you know 50. what I mean? He's, exactly. He's selling that at the LCA price. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, six bucks a glass, you know? Um, but, yeah, that's exactly right. And so there, you just cannot put – if I were to say there's an MVP, as much as I love Kenneth Walker and I still think he's going to – is a huge contender for the Heisman, um, I think really the MVP of this season has been Mel Tucker. I, I I totally agree because what he's been able to do with 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 the things that he's dealt with, you know, obviously he came into a program, he had COVID, he couldn't play, he couldn't practice with his team, he couldn't install a playbook with his team, he couldn't recruit with his, you know, the players that he wanted to recruit, right? And that's what he walked into, and he made a little he he made a little hey, and then he went from two and five to ten and two, big difference. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got to know what you're doing in order to do that in such a short period of time. What I um, am excited about is, you know, we're talking about bowl, uh, likely bowl matchups and where mm-hmm. they're going to end up. And where they've got Michigan State, most people consider they're going to be playing in the Fiesta Bowl yep. and uh, against Notre Dame. I would love that matchup. Great game. Mm-hmm. I mean, tr- a classic rivalry there. Yep. And putting putting Mel Tucker up against that type of an institution, I can't wait to see him just tear him up yeah and i think he would have him ready and i would and they're gonna get healthier mm-hmm. that's the one thing that they really need to do is get healthy because they are not healthy right now and that really showed when they played ohio state i mean it's hard enough playing ohio state with your full health right when you're banged up yeah good luck they're yeah. like they're, it's like it's like running into a buzzsaw you're like okay well i'm gonna die right now right <laughs> so that's how it goes uh- yeah, no, I, I that's why I think uh, the Penn State win was huge, and I think that the if there's a Fiesta Bowl matchup and championship or uh, win to, against Notre Dame, cherry on top. Getting to a New Year's Six Bowl in year two is absolutely unbelievable, and he basically remade that whole roster to be his, and to get to a New Year's Six Bowl is amazing. And my only concern for Mel Tucker now is, you know, where do you go from here? Right, right. I mean, what what are what are the expectations going to be for him for next season and his program? Because now that. it's going to be a matter it. of uh, your watches has comments about my comments. I know. Um, you know, the thing is now, what are we going to? You know, what's he going to do? Everybody's going to expect him to win. You know, ten games every season, and I, it, he just set that bar really, really, really high. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he manages the expectations. I can't wait to see what he does this uh, off, coming off season. I think this could be a really big, big year for him, especially with the recruits that he could land in the transfer portal. I mean, he's already got people coming in the, the pike, and he's he's got some good ones last year, and he's looking to do it again. 
It's got momentum, no doubt. And we will talk about more about Michigan State as we get to the bowl season. But next we have the Red Wings, and they are playing pretty well, if I must say. Let's go. We'll see you in the next segment. Welcome to Cindy and Joe show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And I played Cindy's one of Cindy's favorite songs because she's very, very old. <laughs> you just can't pass up the opportunity. Everybody loves Bon Jovi. They're a classic, just like the Detroit Red Wings. I'll tell you, Bon Jovi really needs to get together with his arena football league team. God damn. Yeah, that didn't quite work out for him as well as the music did. I think you know, make that argument very easily. You know what? It all went downhill after he cut his hair. See, that's that. You know what's? You know what the issue is? Is like, I have this theory, okay? Like Tim McGraw, right? Uh huh. He and Eminem went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. They have not been the same since they went to AA. <laughs> now it's just, it's just, it's it's just like. Sad mopey crap. Like I'm like Tim Tim McGraw, go back to what you was talking about with the Indian outlaw. Like <laughs> God dang. And then Eminem, you know, he's he he's gone in the tank. I'm like Get back on the bottle. Get back <laughs> on the bottle. No, no, we want all of our friends in recovery. It's all good. You gotta find the joy in, I want good music. I don't the joy and good music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about the joy of the Detroit Red Wings. I'll tell you one thing I'm incredibly joyous about, Joe, is our announcement that we made down at LCA yep. last week. For those of you who did not see it, uh, Joe and I told you we had a really big announcement coming, and we were live down at LCA yep. uh, for the St. Louis Blues and uh, Wings game, which was awesome. Nice. Yep. Had uh, Joe and I hung out a little bit mm-hmm. in the uh, alumni club, and we're talking to some of our friends there, Darren McCarty, Eddie Mio. How are you guys? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, had a great time. I think, um, who else was up there? Uh, My sister. Yeah, your sister was up there. She tagged along. Anyway, when we were able to announce that the Cindy and Joe show on Between the Whistles Detroit will be broadcasting live uh, from LCA on select game days for uh, home games for the Detroit Red Wings. And we are super excited about that. So if you come down to a Red Wings game and you see us um, taping the show, stop by and say hi to us. We'd love to meet all of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be having a great time with some tremendous guests. It, it's going to be a surprise. Every You never know what to expect. Every week it's going to be something new, different, and exciting. But we are talking about something really exciting for the Detroit Red Wings because the Cindy and Joe show, we tell you all the time, you're going to hear it here first because we have people, don't we, Joe? Yep. We have people. And we were the first to really let everybody know about... Listen, I was I was the first to tell you about Lucas Raymond. Oh, I knew he was stand the goodbye. I was the first. I was the Sinatra to <laughs> music, okay? I was the Elvis to rock and roll. Oh, is Elvis rock and roll? Oh my Anyways, God, yes. I was Elvis to rock and roll. I was... Uh, the Mozart to classical music. I don't even know. Mozart sucked. You're the Matthew it, McConaughey I, to the Academy I'll, Awards. Hey, hey, hey. I tell you what. Love that guy. I Listen, I was George Strait to country music. I told you <laughs> that Lucas Raymond was going to be an absolute stud fine for the Detroit Bobbins. But I have another one. And you agree with me. We talked about it pre-show. We talked about it. It's, we were in lockstep with it. The next star that people are going to want to watch for the Red Wings is 
Simon Edmondson. Now, why do I say Simon Edmondson? And why do you say Simon Edmondson? We'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> well, hey, I was first up. I was the first one that was well onto the Mo Cider train mm-hmm. as well. You were you were Lucas Raymond. I was Mo Cider. And guess what? We were both right. We were both right. And yep. we were the first to tell you all about it because we have people and we know what we're talking about. Yep. And we'll t- I'll tell you, we are right on the money with Simon Edmondson. See, here's what people don't understand. It's like... I feel like Eisenman has like this, uh, how, how would you say it? Uh, he has this like hex, you know? Like, I will get every Swedish player and I will make him into this superstar. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what that guy is on. I don't know what. He's got like a sixth sense. I don't, actually. I, I don't know what hex he's done on Swedish players, <laughs> but like the reality of the situation is like every player that this guy drafts from Sweden is like looking like a stud. And it's not just Sweden players, it's like Canadian players too. And American players. Like Cal Mazar. Kid's playing amazing at Denver right now. The kid looks like an absolute stud. He's his face off percentage is like it's sixty seven percent out of like three hundred face offs. Stevie just has like he's got like a speed dial on the Swedish when you talk, stud line. When you talk about when you talk about great Scouting sense, you know, yeah. like Ken Holland had it for a while. Like the that Souks, the Zetterbergs, the, getting those guys that you you really didn't think would be um, like some star player, right? They were stars. One was a captain. He was like a sixth round pick. I mean, the, these these guys are just cut different, you know. Like they built Belichick with the Patriots in New England, loses Tom Brady, mm-hmm. one of the best players of all time. It goes, you know, I'm going to go get another. I tried to, yeah, yeah, right. I'm going to go get another, you know, Tom Brady. I'm going to make him into Tom Brady. And I'm going to do this. And I'm gonna... His name is Mac Jones, and he's lighting up the league. Stevie A.Y. is the same way. Like, he's like, all right, I got to start over. Let's look for another Lidstrom. Oh, Cider, you look like another Lidstrom. You know, come on down. Well, especially, especially you make that case when Nick Lidstrom himself Looked at yeah, Mo Sider yeah. and said, "This kid is more he's, talented than I was at his be- age. He's better than I was at his age." Yeah. And I'm like, "But you, when you watch Sider and you watch Raymond, there's something that's different about them." And I think that Stevie Y specifically scouts this way because I think this is the way he was when he was a player. The poise, the poise to play under pressure, the poise to make the right play at the right time, the poise. Not just to make the right play, but to do it at all times, and then play on the defensive side too. Like, you know, if you're Lucas Raymond, you're playing defensive hockey too, and if you're Mo Sider, you're playing offense too. And they both, they're both the awareness is off the charts. They know where they, yeah. they know where the puck is going at all times, and that's why they're put in specific situations where they're put in to succeed. Absolutely, and you know. When they compare Mo Sider to Lindstrom, when they're comparing, you know, Lucas Raymond to Peter Forsberg, yeah. um, you know, those kind of comparisons, it's not like they're just your average uh, decent player. Yeah. I mean, these are generational talents, right? Yeah. Both of them. And so Simon Edmondson, when you take a look at him, you see obviously he's playing in that same league that Sider mm-hmm. came from, the same one that they put Raymond into. So it's like you can see they're they're almost churning them out like – production line they know yep. exactly where to get these guys from and yep. how to develop them and because Edmondson they're, they're, is they're coming from a professional it's team. exactly right Edmondson is demonstrating the same type of patience poise 
um, and you know, collective awareness that Cider and Raymond do from yep. being put in that type of an environment. And you know, there is some discussion among some of the um, uh, you know our, our fellow commentators saying, "Oh well, you know, I don't think Evanson's going to be coming up right away." And the other guy says, "Oh no, I think he's going to be up right away." I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll fall into the camp that I think you're going to see Evanson in uh, on the roster. Certain, if not next season, you'll see him the season after that, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think Edmondson's going to be the next guy up to be called up. I think he'll be the next guy that when he starts the season, he will be up. I think it might be next year. I really do think yeah. that. I think, you know, when you talk to, I talk to people in the scouting business, and I talk to, I talk to them, and I say, you know, what about the Simon Edmondson kid? Oh, kid's stud. Kid's very, very good. And you don't really hear a bad word about him. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about like how well how good he can be, and they're telling you they're telling you like oh he could be like uh, Victor Hedman, he could be like he could be like Cider is right now, but maybe just a glimpse better because his shot is perfect is perfected. I mean you look at it and you go, okay, if the Ravens hit on three of their draft picks and they are all stars, do you understand the how far they'll propel you into the future? Oh, but, for sure. Like, and you're not even talking about the kids that you drafted in the second, third, fourth, fifth round. You're talking about just kids that you have drafted in the first round with not even the first overall pick or of a top like four pick. You're telling me these players, all of these guys could be absolute studs? It just doesn't happen. Well, it's interesting because it, it was uh... – Earlier this year that I had dinner with um, an executive with the Detroit Red Wings and and I said to him, look, I mean, I was looking deep into the into the prospects as you were, you know, we were pretty deep in there. And I said, I think you've got another 2002 team coming. And he looked at me and he didn't believe me. He's like, oh, you know, Cindy, I don't know. He goes, you had, you know all these Hall of Famers in there, and, and he goes, that's a lot. And I said, I don't know. I just, I see it. It's just a matter of if they're all playing for the wings at the same time. Yeah. That's what it's going to be because they're definitely in the pipeline. And I don't think you see a development of a, a Stanley Cup contender here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go on a bold take. You're not seeing a Stanley Cup contender being built. You see a perennial Stanley Cup championship team mm-hmm. being built where you're going to have multiple Cups in a very short period. Well, of time. you've seen what he did in Tampa Bay. You've seen the how he built that team. He built that team with drafting, developing, getting those guys in the right situations, making bold moves, getting a guy like Ryan McDonough, trading Jonathan Drouin for Sergachev, who has absolutely been a, that's been a steal by every sense of the imagination. I think what when people ask how what did Steve Eisman look at this team? And build it like he built it like he when he got Sergachev. That's who he built it on. He already has a Victor Hedman cider because that's exactly who he is. He's a he's a Victor Hedman type where he's just a solid player that just does everything right, and he's a superstar in his own merit. And he's going to be a future Norris Trophy winner. If there's there's people talking that he might win it this year, how yeah? If you can you imagine a rookie winning the Norris Trophy? That'd be unbelievable. Doesn't happen. Yeah, they were talking about they were. T- there was a, uh, it was some podcast. I think it was Spin Chicklets. They were talking about Lucas Raymond winning Hart Trophy because he's playing so well. He's a valued player, and they're talking about Larkin too. Larkin, that's another guy perfected his game. He's being a leader. He's being defensive, offensively. You finally got someone on his wing that can 
score and has awareness has the awareness. There is only one team in the NHL that has a better first line than the Red Wings. It's the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. And they have the same numbers as the Boston Bruins. I mean, you could say Boston's better because of the longevity of how well they play. But you look at the first line of Boston, you go, there's not much difference from the Detroit Red Wings first line and the Boston first line because Larkin is Bergeron, Bertuzzi is Marchand, and Pashnak is Raymond. That's exactly what they modeled it after. Yeah, well, and again, we said it first. We, we're now giving you Edvinson. That's the trifecta right there. Mm-hmm. Cider, Raymond, and Edvinson. You heard it here first on the Cindy and Joe show. And I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting when you talk about um, game changers and people that are changing, you know, players that are going to change the face of the Red Wings and so on and who might be part of the long-term mm-hmm. um, Stanley Cup championship team that is being developed now. And I'll tell you what, when we were at that game against St. Louis, I, I saw another another player that could very easily become part of a longstanding uh, championship legacy, and that is Nadelkovich. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because when you saw those saves that he was making, yep. those were those were Chris Osgood-type saves. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were saves that, like, were just... I mean, you were you were you were a little you were a little tipsy there at the end there, Joe. I mean, you were having a good time, Ooh. right? Joe had a little bit too good of a time there in the alumni club with uh, hanging yeah, out yeah, with our friends, but that yeah, was a lot of fun. But uh, no, but I mean, he just made some such stellar saves, real just strokes of brilliance you see in his play. If he can get that consistent, and if he can maintain that, you've got another Chris Osgood coming up, who by the way should be in the Hall of Fame. Ozzy, just so you know, my friend. You should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago, and I think he's going to be. Um, but you've got a real uh, huge piece of the puzzle in net for the Red Wings with uh, Alex Nadalkovich. Yeah, you know, uh, Nadalkovich, the thing that makes him different is is, is he's a kid that uh, grew up close to you know Michigan. He knows what it is. He's a U.S.-born goaltender. They're talking about him being on the Olympic team. And the United States goalies, there's a lot of good goalies out there. Yeah. There's a lot of good goalies. The Gibson, you know, the the, the Hellebuck. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of goalies out there. And when you're talking about the top three of your country, I mean, there is talk that the Rebels might have about seven to ten players that are going to play for their country. Which, That'd be unreal. Which eh? isn't saying a lot because some of these countries don't have much to Choose from, but when you're talking about Canada, you're talking about the United States. Oh yeah. You're talking about Sweden, Sweden. and Russia. Yeah. I mean Czechoslovakia, another one. I mean they want to. They're hoping that they can get Verona back. They can get Verona on this the Slovakian roster, which is going to be interesting because I heard this on the post the the, the game when they were playing uh, Buffalo, and they were talking about do you send Verona to the Olympics to get his legs under him so when he comes back he's ready to go and they were saying yeah you, you probably would because he's a he I got the upper body injury and you, you can probably get him back and he'll be all re, re, you know ready to go doesn't need no time to get his legs underneath him he's all ready to go yeah I think that's a brilliant situation because now you're t- I, you got to think Asman's thinking three steps ahead he's like okay if I can send Verona to the Olympics and then I get him back full strength oh boy add him to this team well, and it'll be interesting to see 
how many Red Wings we have playing in the Olympics, and and let's hope that nobody gets injured uh, during the uh, the Olympic uh, you know games. That'll that would be uh, mm-hmm. problematic, but um, that may determine, in fact, how all that shakes out. Uh, what happens with Robbie Fabry? There's mm-hmm. a lot of talk about him being traded, um, you know, at or near the trade deadline, which is in March this year, and uh, you know, I, and I thought. You know, Joe, you kind of had a bold take on what you think might happen with Robbie Fabry. Yeah, I think he will be traded. I think that when they get Verona back, they're, they're going to have a surplus of, of forwards that they can kind of maneuver. And I think that having Verona come back on the second line, it's either going to be, Z- be Zidina or Fabry that's going to be gone, and they're going to get a veteran defenseman. And you were, th- you were thinking, too, if I'm not mistaken, that – and I thought – you know, I could see the point, but the little caveat you add is you think they they might package that him up with uh, one of our other defensemen. Yeah, like Horonic. Yeah, I a, I think that would be a great a package. stature. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the reality of the situation is like Steve Eisman has a lot of things at his disposal right now. The team's playing well. He's got players that are playing very very well. I think that. If you look at the Eastern Conference and especially the division that they play playing, it's not overwhelmingly tough this year. There's some teams that are very, very good, mm-hmm. but you know there's going to be some teams that are going to be dropping off pretty soon because they just don't have the talent that other teams do. Obviously, like a Toronto, they're going to be playing pretty well, but their goaltending is not good right now. Uh, Montreal just fired their whole front office. They're kind of going backwards. And then you got a team like... You know, Tampa Bay is obviously going to be good, but Buffalo is somehow in the playoff race right now, and I don't. Yeah, think, what's with that? I don't think who would have seen that coming. And you know what? You know what the, 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 the sad thing is, and this goes to tell you about cultures. You know, they traded Jack Eichel, and they're going to get Alex Tuck back pretty soon. He's a big power forward guy, and they're playing better than they ever have with Jack Eichel. So it's probably a good thing that the Rubbings didn't kind of go after Jack Eichel because. You see that he might have been the issue in Buffalo. Yeah, I, I think he didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit the program that Steve did. He, he did not fit the Iser plan, I don't believe. There's just certain players that they, I don't know if you want to say this, but they, they, they're not leaders. Yeah. You know, one of the guys that I really love, but I kind of figured this out when he left Detroit was – a guy like Matthew Stafford, he's not a leader. He's just a he's a guy who, you know, you just get you just you just you kind of get by. He yeah, just, he just doesn't. He's not a leader. Yeah, yeah, because your best player is not necessarily your leader. Yeah, um, sometimes they are, and you ideally when that does happen, well, that you know you've got a you know you know got a one two punch going on there. I mean, then you really got a, a superstar, but. Um, you're right. That's not always the case, and uh, I think we see we are seeing the eyes are playing in motion, and I will. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the Red Wings in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I think that they Hands have. Down. I think they have every shot to be in the playoff, and I think that their team is only going to get better. And we will be talking about that from LCA on uh, select game on days. select game days. We will let you know the whole schedule coming up, and uh, next we talk about a team that just pisses me off, but we'll get to it. Not the Lions. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the Lions. What a lucky guess. We will talk to Lions and, uh, yep, we'll talk to Lions. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Joe. Cindy. 
and we are talking the Lions as uh, you know, there's nothing more than I tell you that. <laughs> Boy, I'd love to put our show at the beginning of the season or preseason to now because boy what a dramatic difference you would see yeah because you know the thing about the Detroit Lions and you know I've told I've said it countless times I think that Dan Campbell is a good coach I think he's done a pretty good job with with the talent that he has but he's on strike one with me and why is that and he's got one more strike and he's He's, wait, wait, he's gonna wait. be on my shit list. He's only wait. He's got only got one strike, mm-hmm. and with you, he only gets one more. So it's not the three strikes and you're out rule for you. Oh, he, he gets oh, okay. he, he gets, a, he gets a second strike, and then if he gets the third strike, then I'm done. I got you. See, All right. Once you get the first strike, I'm not calling. I'm not. I'm not gonna be nice no more. It's gonna be you did it or you don't. Now, see, you were not kind of Blashell. You didn't like Jeff Blashell. Jeff I Blaschel. like Jeff Blashell. No, no, you did not like Jeff Blashell. I didn't think he would, you was said, the right we, coach. We needed another coach. I did. I'm always, I'm always on par with these coaches. I think I know what I'm talking about because I've had a good track record of it. Like when Patricia came in, and I was like, this, you called him a boob. This guy has to go. Well, he's, you called him a boob. He's penis cancer. <laughs> oh my god! Listen. Dan Campbell's on strike one with me. That timeout, the double timeout, I haven't seen it happen since I was in high school. And the team that did it, the coach was like a gym teacher or something. Like, they're a professional coach. You can't be making those mistakes. I don't care what you are. And then, and then you know what? You know what? I watched the film of, of Jared Goff, and these holding penalties are literally – Driving me insane. You're pulling your hair out as we speak, Joe. I wish if we're we're not on video today. Thank God, because Joe's sparing all of you from okay. Listen from the abominations that we're sitting here. But he, Joe is pulling his hair out right now. He's pulling the hair out on his head. Yep. He's pulling the hair out on his face. Yep. His beard has big patches, patches. in it. Oh Jesus, Pete. it's bad. Listen, Jared Goff has to stop. He has to stop. You know, one of the things that they teach you in quarterback school is if you are a good quarterback, you step up in the pocket to help your offensive line out because then they don't have to go that far and they're not going to create penalties. Like when you step further back, like Drew Brees said on the pregame for the uh, the, the the Saints and the Bills, he said, you know, Trevor Simeon stepping too far back in the pocket. Then you watch Jared Goff. He does that routinely. He takes like eight steps back. It's like, where are you going, Sherlocka? What are we doing? <laughs> and then, you know, Dan Campbell today, he goes, you know, Dan Campbell didn't help himself with the whole two timeout thing. But I was, I was like, okay, you know what? That's, he, he's strike one. And then he goes, yeah, Jared Goff, he needs, he, some of these holding penalties are on him. No shit. Like, no shit. <laughs> like, Jared Goff is so. His his awareness. See, you know, we were talking about Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. How their awareness is off the charts for rookies. If you if you did an awareness thing for um, Jared Goff, I'm pretty sure it'd be like negative forty. Because this kid, this this cat has no awareness whatsoever. I mean, there are some quarterbacks in college who have better awareness than Jared Goff. I, I'm willing to bet you Jer- Jared Goff is one of those guys who like he's just driving along. In his, you know, 
whatever his big monster truck he's driving along and doesn't see the, all the flashing lights and the sirens coming I, from I, the ambulance behind him he's just driving like there is like there's nobody else on the road but him and he just has no clue what's going on around him he first of all he's J- one of those guys jared drives a tesla does he drive a tesla really mm-hmm. i drive a tesla you know a tesla well that's his first print mistake right there and, and and so and so does he know what city he's in uh, he came from california just it's, yeah well uh, there you go again lack of awareness mm-hmm. he should be driving a ford f-150 like yours yeah or an expedition or an expedition if you want to be fancy or, or a dodge ram or a chevy silverado my God, look at the options. Right. But no, the guy's driving a Tesla. So, okay, very unaware. He's very point, unaware. Point made. Very unaware of the situation. But when he steps when he steps back in the pocket, he's killing his offense line because they now they have to go farther out from the offense line. They're, they, they're blocking some real freaks of defensive end. Like, the NFL makes – they have literally, literally freaks at the defensive end position. Like, there are some guys who are defensive ends that, are, that can run a 4-4 – at 290 pounds. That's insane. And that's the guys that these offensive linemen have to freaking block. And Jared Goff is helping them out. Not even the slightest bit. You know, think about Matthew Stafford. At least he'd help them out. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd step it up in the pocket. Make the plays that he needs to. You know, these good quarterbacks. Even these average quarterbacks. The one thing that they can do well is maneuver in the pocket. That's the biggest thing. Do you think he's afraid, or do you think he's just a dodo bird? I mean, he's just a dodo. He's just unaware. He's just a dork. I mean, or or his? Do you think that he just is afraid of of stepping up? I mean, it could be that. I, I hope not, because if you're an NFL player, you shouldn't be afraid of anything. I mean, you're getting your brain beat in day in and day out. I mean, you shouldn't be afraid. I mean, you got to have confidence in your offensive line. Your offensive line is actually your strong point of your team. Help him out. I mean, Taylor Decker is a really good offensive lineman. He can't he can't block a guy for four and a half seconds. That's insane. The best the best blocker NFL uh, tackles the average amount of time that they'll hold the block is like three seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's your like your top line blockers. Like that's just that's insane. But you know he hasn't helped out his team. He doesn't really make these throws that you go, okay, this guy's great. And we're going to be stuck with him another year, which is good because we need all the draft capital we can get. And you know what's you know what's happening with the draft capital? The Rams are losing because Matthew Stafford is actually playing some good teams. So, will the Lions? Do you think are are they going to win a game? Do you see do you see a possibility or an opportunity for them to win anything? There's a couple possibilities. There's the Broncos, the Falcons, the Seahawks. And that's basically it. They're not beating the Packers when they come to Detroit. I mean, oh, yeah, right. there's, no. there's always an opportunity, but the Packers are going to be gunning for that, 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 that MC uh, top seed so they can get everyone to come to Lambeau, that frozen blade of grass that they play on. I mean, it's not nothing's harder than going to Lambeau Field. And especially, you know, I, I was here in an interview, and there were some LA Rams players that were, that were so – Unaware of the cold in Green Bay. What, what did they think they were going to run into? One of the, one, this Wisconsin's is, one of the coldest places on the planet. One of the players, his name is J.J. Kosky. He's a punt returner, blood of whatever. 
his literal words were, I didn't know it was this cold in Wisconsin. I'm like, bro, you don't even know the half of it. It's about to get a lot colder, especially when, right you, go into, when you go into the playoffs. Yep. It's going to be very, very cold in that, that, that joint. That's a cold place to play. It's right off Lake Michigan. It's not the easiest place to play. And Matthew Stafford threw his third pick six of in three straight games. So what do we expect the Lions to do with this season? I mean, you know, I look at it this way. I, you know, my perspective, Joe, and you know me and how I think and so forth, and, and any winner will tell you, you know, you, you never lose. I never lose. I either win or I learn. So if the Lions don't have a chance to win this season, what do they have a chance to learn? What should they have learned? What what would they have learned that will help to propel them to a better season next season and, quite frankly, it can't get any worse at this point. No. But seriously, they're not going to win. So if that they got to win a game, they got to win a game. Like you cannot. If you want strike two for Dan Campbell, he can't go winless. He can't go winless. Now he got that tie, which they'll stave off history <laughs> of going zero and sixteen and zero and seventeen. Right. But you cannot go winless. Like you cannot. You just can't. You won't recover from that. You just you won't recover. So what happens? Let's assume a winless season. What happens to Dan Campbell? Well, he stays for next year. He has to improve it dramatically because eventually the belief in him through the players will be a little bit down. They're not gonna. They're not gonna come out with the same fire. You have. You have to get a win, and you you have to coach better. He has to coach better. Period. If you don't coach better, you know Jeff Blashill, For all the hate that he got with the Rebels. He coached teams that didn't have any talent to win games that they really shouldn't have won. You know, A.J. Hinch, guy, he's a guy, he's a good coach. You know, he's been a coach, you know. But he coached and he won games that he wasn't supposed to win. Dwayne Casey does the same thing. You know, you see, you see, God forbid, you see Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo and Jim Harbaugh and and, uh, Juwan Howard at Michigan, Michigan State. They're winning games that they shouldn't win because that's what good coaches do. If you really want to, if you really want to set a precedence, you got to win a game this year. You got to just show that we can win games, and you got to coach better because he hasn't been coaching good at all. So, are you throwing in with all the pundits who said the reality is Dan Campbell was not ready for the NFL? I think it's clear that he wasn't ready for the NFL. I think. It's clear that he wasn't ready for the NFL, and I'm, I just—you know—it was hard to get the, a coach to take this job in the mm-hmm. first place because everyone knows this is going to be a brutal rebuild. You don't got a quarterback coming out this year. You're stuck with Jared Goff and his bum ass, and then <laughs> and and you're, and you're just and you're just stuck with him. And your roster isn't that great, but we, we've seen a little bit of what Brad Holmes has been able to do. Is a little bit Stevie Y, where he's found players that he's got to play better than that they were that they were thought of. Like the guy like Jerry Jacobs, undrafted free agent, he's going to be a fixture on the on the secondary next year. AJ Parker, another guy, he's going to be a fixture. He was an undrafted free agent. You know, you got Amara St. Brown that's playing pretty well. You got if if he had a quarterback, he'd be playing pretty well. Yeah, you, you got Derek Barnes, Lee McNeil, Anzarike. Penny Sewell is one of the best tackles in football right now. He's done a great job drafting. So there is no excuse next year when you get your 
Frank Ragnow back and you get a whole your offensive line's completely healthy and you're getting back players that uh, are coming off injuries that are coming back that are good players that you've lost this year. There will be no this is no not a talented team because you're gonna add talent to this team with the draft. You know, Dan Campbell kind of reminds me of in terms of his coaching style, if we want to say he has a coaching style. This year, I just feel like, you know, he's fumbling around like teenagers in the backseat of a car. They're just, he's just fumbling around, has no idea. He's just throwing, he's just trying stuff out. He's experimenting. He doesn't really know what to do. Um, Whereas, let's take a look at Mel Tucker. I think Mel Tucker knows exactly what to do. Uh, Dan Campbell, I get a sense of, you know, he just really doesn't know what to do. So he's trying everything and anything um, because he's he's just kind of clueless and he's fumbling his way through it. And I think that, um, you know, I get that for the first few games of the season. Okay. You're trying to find your feet. I can understand that. But this deep in. No, I, I think it's just a lack of experience as a head coach at this level, and he just simply does not know what to do, and he's going to have to work on that in the off season, find a mentor, something, and get a program together because I don't see one coming out of Dan Campbell right now, and I like Dan Campbell. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that you'll you, you like you would like to see is Dan Campbell develop his own coaching style. You know, I compared him to Mike Vrabel the way Mike Vrabel made silly mistakes when he took over the job in Tennessee. And then the second year, he got way better. He took that team to new levels. But Dan Campbell's got to find his coaching style, and he's got to he's gotta tweak it and mold it. Because we know that he came into a, a bad situation, but he's got to make the best out of the situation because that's what good, good coaches do. Let's look forward to seeing that hopefully next season because we're going to have Dan Campbell for one more year at least. Hopefully they can win a game this season because I can't take much more, Cindy. I understand it, Joe. And this has been the show for the week. We will see you next week as we talk about all that's happening in Detroit sports. And we will have our football awards. Yes, our more exciting. Awards. This, is not, this awards. is not just Michigan, Michigan State. This is all these teams, which because we got to give one team credit because they are absolutely kicking the shit out of every team that they're playing. It's Ferris State up in Elk Rapids. They are the number one Go division. Bulldogs. They are the number one division two team, and they just kicked the crap out of Grand Valley State, which is another good team in our state. And we're hoping to bring you another one of our famous rumor shows here very soon. We know you always look forward to them because we have our finger on the pulse of Detroit sports here on Between the Whistles, the Cindy and Joe show, your hometown team. Join us next week. Subscribe to us on Spotify and like us on all our social medias and follow. We will see you next week.